This episode does include gruesome details from true events. Listener discretion advised for those under the age of 18. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Crime Vine podcast. I am your host, Felicity Brooke. And if you are new here, basically, this is a true crime and conspiracy theory podcast, but we stick mostly with the true crime. We barely dive into some conspiracy theories just because, um, well, we know that true crime is more interesting to listen to. So um, I realized that it's really annoying when I play back my audio and it's like a four minute long intro. So I'm going to skip all the long, you know, overdrawn stuff and just kind of skip to it. But before I do that, I'm going to take this time and ask you guys to please write a review on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on. Please rate and review it. It'll greatly help me out and it'll help boost the ratings up for the show, which is amazing. And also, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram at the Crime Vine Podcast, I am active a lot over there. I post at least once a day, if not three times a day. And I'm super active and basically just like to get to know you guys, interact with you guys and whatnot. And I'm also on Twitter at the Crime Vine PO1. So before we um, get into this case, I want you guys to all grab yourselves a drink because this vine will definitely rope you in. This crime took place in a remote family cabin in Oakley, Utah in 1990. Now this cabin was very secluded. It was about two and a half miles from the road and in the winter you had to snowmobile in order to get to the cabin. The Tita family consisted of Rolf, who was the father, Kay, who was the mother, Beth, who was the grandmother, Lene, who was the older daughter, and Trisha, who was the younger daughter. This cabin was a very relaxing place to visit. Kay even named it Tita's Tranquility. It was winter of 1990. Lene was 20 years old and Trisha was 16. It was just three days before Christmas and the family decided to head into town to finish up their Christmas shopping. Lene, Kay, and Beth arrived at the cabin first. Lene asked her mom to hurry and unlock the door because her hands were freezing. It was so cold outside. She was going to run into the house to run her hands under some warm water and then go back down to help bring stuff in. As Lene got to the top of the stairs, she noticed a gray figure run behind the refrigerator. She immediately thought that it was her cousins and that they were just trying to scare them. Turns out the man behind the refrigerator was not her cousin. This man was wearing a gray sweater and had very frizzy curly hair, almost like an afro. He pointed his pistol at Lene. And as her mother entered the house, another man stepped out with Coke bottle glasses, this time from the bedroom, and he was pointing a gun at Kay. She kept asking what he wanted and why he was there, and basically telling him that she would give them anything and cooperate. Seconds after she said that, they shot her. Lene saw her mom go down and then quickly turned to look over her shoulder and saw her grandmother. Before she knew it, she witnessed her grandmother get shot and blood spray everywhere. The last thing she heard from her grams was a gasp for breath, and then it was just silence. Lene knew her mother and grandmother were dead. She got even more worried because within minutes her dad and sister would be there. She heard the snowmobiles in the distance and her heart sank into her gut. Lene immediately started thinking of a plan. She knew they had a car with them and her father kept the keys under a mat. She knew if she got these men out of the house and into the car, her dad and her sister would be safe. As the snowmobiles got closer, the man in the gray grabbed Lene from behind, by the neck, and put his gun to her back. 
As soon as Trisha and her father, Rolf, got to the cabin, a man jumped out of the garage with a ski mask on and had a gun. He told them that they needed to go into the house. Rolf looked into Lene's eyes and saw fear, and immediately knew something had happened to Kay and Beth. The man asked Rolf if he had any money. Rolf reached into his pockets and pulled out what he had and threw it to the ground. The man in the Coke bottle glasses was instructed by the other man to shoot Rolf. The man apparently refused to fire, so the other man that was holding on to Lene pulled his gun out and pulled the trigger. The first time, click, no fire. Twice, click, no fire. And the third one fired at Rolf's face. The girls had no doubt in their mind that their father was dead. Lene and Trisha both just wanted this nightmare to end. And by the looks of the cabin, they could tell these men had been there for a while. Food was pulled out and half eaten, drinks on the counter. I mean, these men made themselves right at home. It's not like these men were surprised by the Tita family coming home, but more like they were waiting for them. These men had a plan to destroy the evidence. They would burn the place to the ground. The Titas always had gas for the snowmobiles, so they grabbed some gas and poured it everywhere. Then they set the cabin on fire. Next thing Lene knew was the fire alarms going off and the cabin being destroyed. These men realized they had to hurry up and load up the snowmobiles and get out of there. The two girls were so incredibly smart. Their plan was to listen to everything these men said until they could make their escape. So Trisha and Lene drove these men on the snowmobiles from the cabin. Trisha had all kinds of plans on how to wreck the snowmobile and how to throw them off into a tree and basically just how to get rid of this guy. But she didn't act on any of these because she couldn't just leave her sister behind. These girls felt hopeless. There was no one around, nowhere to go. They were in the middle of the mountains with no witnesses. As they made it to the main gate, the girls saw their uncle Randy. Randy saw the two men on the back and just thought that the girls had boyfriends. He tried to walk over to them and greet them, but they ignored him. Randy thought immediately that this was very odd behavior from the girls. The men asked the girls who that was and they just responded with, must be someone that lives up here just being nice. They knew that if they told the men that Randy was their uncle, they would have killed him. Once they finally reached their family car in a parking lot by the road, the two men immediately began loading up the car. The two men began loading their guns in the trunk, and as one guy pulled his gun off him, his jacket opened and Trisha saw he had a knife. He looked at her and said, don't worry, I'm just as good with a knife as I am with a gun. Randy actually saw them again as he saw them in the family car pulling out onto the street. He saw the two men in the front and the girls in the back. He waved his hands again at them and tried yelling at them to stop, but the girls again ignored him and pretended they didn't know who he was. From that point on, Randy knew something was wrong. Not even a minute later, Randy saw another snowmobile pull up with a person on it. He noticed that the person had no coat on, no gloves, no helmet, and this man's face was really swollen and full of blood. It was so cold outside that the blood turned to bloodsicles. Randy realized that this was his brother. Rolf told Randy, I have been shot, my wife has been killed, and my daughters have been kidnapped. Randy and Rolf got into the, his car and started heading down the road as fast as they could. Randy at this point is panicking. Rolf is laying in the back full of blood. Randy kept trying and trying and trying to call 911, but they were in the middle of the mountains and there was hardly any cell service. 
Randy eventually caught up to them and he realized that these girls are in danger and these men had guns. What would he do? Finally, service kicked in and he got 911 on the phone. The 911 operator instructed Randy to tell her where they were because they had men in the area. He said they were about to turn onto Camus and he needed a helicopter and then the call got dropped. So he pulled over to a gas station, went to the payphone and got 911 back on the phone. Once the men realized they were being followed, they began to panic. Trisha looked over at the speedometer and saw they were going over 90 miles per hour. Lene saw that they were going towards a canyon and then about a mile later they fell off and into a snowbank. The girls looked up at the road they just came from and saw a bunch of cops and people in common clothes with pistols, shotguns, and rifles pointed towards the car. Lene remembers cops pointing guns at her and her sister and she tried telling them that, no, that's my sister. At that moment, she thought that maybe the cops never received information about there being hostages in the car. Trisha reached over to Lene, grabbed her hand, and said duck as the car began to be shot at. The suspects were taken from the vehicle and were then secured by the officers. The men even surrendered to authorities because they realized they can't control the situation anymore. Lead investigator Jeff Offer explained these men as cowards. Lene was filled with so much anger towards these men for what they had just put her through. As these men were on their knees, with their hands behind their heads, Lene yelled at the cops to just kill them because they killed her mother and her grandmother and she thought her dad was dead as well. The helicopter eventually showed up and took Rolf, who was in pretty critical condition. As it turns out, Rolf had actually been doused with gas himself and he had to jump into the shower and tear off his snowsuit in order to survive. Then he had the strength to get out on the snowmobile to try and save his daughters. This man had true strength and courage. Trisha described her dad being her hero her entire life, and this just put an exclamation point at that. The cops went back to the crime scene to investigate. On a coffee table is where they would find one of the most significant pieces of evidence for this case, a video camera. On this camera was a tape that these men had taped over. The footage was of them making themselves right at home at the Tita cabin and even opening up their Christmas presents and making jokes. As Brad Wilde, who was the patrol duty, walked up to the door, he describes the smell of the scene as burnt hair and burnt fabric. As he entered the garage, he saw a 12 to 18 inch puddle of blood that was fresh. That's a lot of blood. As he moved up the stairs, he saw bullet holes on the wall, almost like they went straight through the wall. There was also a bloody hand smear on the wall. He describes the look of the scene as a mini war zone. That's when he saw two bodies, K. Tid Will Tita and Beth Tid Wilpots. He immediately tried to look for a pulse but was unsuccessful. He didn't realize it at first, but the entire top floor of the cabin was on fire. They knew that they had to protect the property of the victims. There was a double funeral held for Kay and Beth. Claudia was Kay's older sister, and when Kay passed, Claudia stepped in and let the girls know that she was there and that they weren't alone. Trisha and Kay actually got into a little argument earlier that morning of the crime. Trisha would always hug her mom, but after that argument, she turned to look at her mom and then walked away. And that was the last time she saw her mother alive. These two men that were responsible for this heinous crime were Vaughn Taylor and Edward Deli. They were in their 20s and actually had criminal records already. 
Von Taylor had previously been convicted of aggravated burglary, and Edward Deli had been convicted of arson. They had been released and sent to a halfway house. They were given the ability to go out and look for employment, and that's when they committed this crime. These men had hitchhiked their way to this area because apparently one of them had a family cabin that way. They robbed many cabins until they got to the Tita cabin. They wanted to figure out a way to get a vehicle and flee the country. This case was proven to be very complicated for authorities. Not in the whodunit way, but in the way of trying to figure out which suspect committed which part of the crime. Vaughn Taylor and Edward Deli were both charged with the murders, aggravated assault, arson, and high-speed chase. In addition to the murders, they were facing 8 to 10 felonies and some misdemeanors. The family, as you can imagine, was filled with rage and anger. Trisha said she wanted both men sentenced to the death penalty to die. Five months later, Vaughn Taylor pleaded guilty to two counts of capital murder, and the state actually dropped all other charges against him in exchange for that plea. Taylor opted to sentencing in front of a jury instead of a judge. The jury sentenced him to a death sentence for both murders, so he has two death sentences. Lene was relieved with this sentence. In her eyes, justice was served. A couple weeks later, it was Deli's turn. Taylor and Deli didn't actually know that Rolf survived until one day at Deli's trial, Rolf walked into the courtroom. Imagine the shock and surprise on Deli's face. Rolf is actually very lucky that they used the wrong gun. Now, I don't know much about guns, but apparently they used a birdshot, which was very ineffective. They said for Rolf to survive, this was a 1 in 1,000 chance. Everyone expected Deli was going to be convicted of first-degree murder, but the verdict came to be second-degree murder with life in prison. Once you get a second-degree murder conviction, the death penalty is no longer an option. He got second-degree murder because one jury member decided to hold out. Otherwise, he would have gotten first. The Tita family was mad at that. They thought Deli should have gotten the death penalty just like Taylor. Both men were equally as guilty for this crime. In 2001, Lene received a letter from Deli. It took her over nine years to respond to that letter. In the letter, Deli stated that he has grown into a man and he wasn't the same person anymore. Lene believes she regained her freedom the day she decided to forgive Deli, but she will never forget what he did. Unfortunately, in 2009, Rolf passed away from cancer. Trisha and Lene are both married now and actually had the cabin restored. Their families still go to the cabin to this day. They refused to let these men take away the things they loved and enjoyed in their life. And the cabin was one of them. These men had already taken their mom and their grandmother and that's all they were going to take. So what do you guys think about this case? Honestly, it just blows my mind that, you know, like the nerve some people have to break into somebody else's home and totally disrupt their holiday, what is supposed to be one of the happiest times of the year and just completely turn it into a nothing but an utter chaotic nightmare. Like, honestly, it, it honestly, this is so Oh, I don't even know how to describe it. This honestly, this blows my mind. This case, when I heard it, I was so it like really got me in the feels, if you know what I mean. Like, and I know a lot of these cases do, but there was something about this one. And, you know, like these people seemed like very good people. And sometimes, you know, the most unfortunate things happen to 
the nicest and best people out there. And it's honestly, it just blows my mind. And what do you guys think about the convictions? I definitely think that Delhi should have gotten uh, first degree murder and the penalty, but due to an hung, due to a hung jury, he got second. And um, I I think they both are equally as guilty for this crime. I mean, they you know if you don't want the time, don't commit the crime. And they both they they equally did it. Like yes, Von Taylor was more aggressive, but Delhi still took part in it. And it's not like he's an innocent man or it's not like, you know, he didn't, you know, take part in it at all. I think they both should have gotten first degree murder with the death sentence, but that's just me. I don't know. Am I being too harsh on that? I want to know your guys' thoughts on this case. So um, if you want to head over to my Instagram, let me know what you guys think about this case or let me know on Twitter, tweet at me. Um, it's at the crime vine PO one. And on Instagram, we are at the crime vine podcast. So that is all I have for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.